All right, good morning, church. How is everyone doing? Wasn't that worship awesome? Amen. All right, anybody ready for uh, part three on giving? Anybody ready, part three on giving? Let me start that over. Anybody ready on part three when it comes to giving? All right, come on now, come on. All right, you weren't as excited as the first service, all right? This is actually going to be part two of Attitudes of Giving. We looked at part one last week. Two weeks ago, we laid the foundation and we talked about the principles of giving. So we're going to be talking about Attitudes of Giving, part two. Why does God talk so much about generosity? Here's why I think he talks about generosity so much. God is generous. God is generous. He's generous towards us, and he wants us to be like him. Amen? And I will say that generosity, giving, is very, very hard. It's very hard because the world, the model of the world is to have a vice grip on your resources and your possessions and and your wealth. But God says, I don't want you to have a vice grip on those things. I want you to live with open hands and an open heart. I want you to be a channel, a conduit where I can funnel my blessings and my resources through you to other people. You know, human nature is just to be selfish. And so um, I think it's good to talk about giving and and, 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 and to, to wage war against the selfish nature um, that we all have deep, deep inside of us. You know, I want to give a real quick recap of last week. Last week, we were going to cover 12 points. It's a good thing that I didn't do that because it would have been like an hour and 10 message. So hour and 10 minutes. So we stopped at uh, after I talked about point uh, six, but we're going to kind of fly through high-level, quick overview. I really shared last week that giving is a heart issue. Jesus tells us, Jesus, the most giving person, tells us in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying that your money follows your treasure. The movement of your money follows your treasure. Find your treasure and you'll find your heart. Three ways to look at your wealth. I shared this last week. What's mine is mine. What's yours is mine. What's mine is his. You know, the culture uh, in which we live, it's what's mine is mine, right? Clenched fist, this is mine, and I'm not gonna share it. I worked hard for it. Me, mine, I, very self-centered. What's yours is mine. This is the idea. You have what I want, and I'm gonna take it. I'm going to steal it. But then the third one, this is, this is gospel-centered. This is the generosity, the life of generosity that God wants us to have. What's mine is his, and so I'm going to share it. That is the heart of the gospel. We serve a God with a big heart, and he had such a big heart that he was willing to pursue us and, and love us and, and give his son as the greatest gift ever given. And so when you're transformed by the grace of God, it's going to cause you to want to be giving, want to be loving, want to be sacrificing. And so you're going to desire to to want to live with open hands and an open heart, and you want to be a channel for, for, for God's blessings. You know, I mentioned last week, stewardship is not ownership. What's mine is his. God is the owner. We're just stewards. We're just managing God's goods. And so... 
The six points that I kind of worked through is point number one, generous giving reveals the grace of God. And I shared last week that you first encounter the grace of God. You, you first um, come to faith in Christ and then God does a work within you. He transforms your life. Grace comes first, then generosity. You experience the the sheer grace of God and it triggers something in your life. You want to then be a giver because the gospel is about giving. Number two, I said that generous giving is not affected by external circumstances. I mentioned that the church, um, the, the churches of Macedonia, which is what Paul was highlighting, to teach the church at Corinth about how to be an exemplary, generous, giving church. He was basically telling the believers at Corinth, these Macedonian believers were facing severe affliction. I mean, pressure on every side. They, they, They were living in extreme poverty, but the affliction and the poverty caused them to have an abundance of joy. Let me say this real quick, side note. This is gonna give you great credibility with your oikos. When a boulder drops onto your life. When a boulder comes in and and crushes you, how do you respond to that hardship, that trial, that, that, that tribulation in your life? If you respond with joy in Christ in the midst of the tragedy or the pain, I'm gonna keep my eyes fixed on Christ. Christ is my joy. This is a work that God's doing inside me. When you live that out in front of your oikos, you have credibility. Because the world, when they're crushed by you know, boulders, what do they do? They find ways to escape. They, they tap into drugs, drinking, right? Addictions, uh, suicide, depression. And so these, these believers, they, they're being crushed, but, but they're, they're marked with joy. They're, they're, they're pursuing Christ. They're afflicted yet joyous. They're, they're facing extreme poverty, but they're, but, but, they, but they're giving generously towards the poor Christians in this collection. Here's point number three, generous giving is sacrificial. We talked about how the, the Macedonian believers, they gave beyond their ability. I mean, I mean how, how do you do that? If you're already extremely poor, how do you give beyond your ability? You're like, you're, you're doubly poor now, right? They gave beyond their means. And that should be said of us. That should mark us. As believers, we should give sacrificially. Point four. I don't know if I shared uh, the, the fill in the blank on point four. Did I or did I not? Do you guys have? The, all right. Well, it's in your outline. Generous giving is marked with enthusiasm. So, the Macedonian believers were begging Paul, don't leave us out of this collection. Don't leave us out of this offering. We want to be a blessing. When is the last time you were like, you were enthusiastic about giving? You were like, man, I don't want to be left out. Right? I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of advancing God's kingdom and his mission. And, and you begged to be a part of an offering. Point five, generous giving is a spiritual priority. And, and we see in that passage that Paul is challenging these young believers to excel in all of these Christian virtues. And then he says, I want you to excel in the act of giving, the grace of giving as well. Giving is just as important as what we believe, knowledge, and all these spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and prayer and being a part of community and serving and sharing the gospel. Paul's saying, I want you to excel 
in this area as well. And then point number six, generous giving is the heart of the gospel. And this is where we kind of landed last week. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. So what is this grace? What is this undeserved, unmerited favor? What is, what is this gift of God's grace? He explains it. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, why should we give? Why should we be marked by generosity? Because God gave to us. God gave his son the greatest gift ever given. Giving is at the heart of the gospel. Giving is the center of the gospel. It says, though he was rich, yet for your sake, circle that, underline that, for your sake, he became poor. Paul is saying the incarnation was for you. His sinless life was for you. He willingly laid himself down on a cross. His, the crucifixion was for you. The burial was for you. The victorious resurrection by the spirit of the living God was for you. Yet for your sake, he became poor. And then notice the result so that you by his poverty, you by his incarnation, his sinless life might become rich because of his generosity. We are able to be rich in faith towards God. The gospel is all about generosity. It is all about God doing something for us that we simply do not deserve. And so that should propel, that should motivate, that should fire us up to want to live lives of, of radical generosity because of what Christ has done for us. If the cross doesn't move you, to action, if the cross doesn't move you to want to be a generous giver, then nothing else will. It is the cross that should motivate us. It's the cross that should drive us, should, should drive our affections, it should drive our will so that we, we, we don't waste our lives. We invest in that which is eternal. We don't get bogged down with the temporal, the earthly, what we can see. No, we're heaven bound. We're, we're focused on the mission and the kingdom and the message of the gospel, which can transform people's lives. That's why we give. That's why we're generous. That's why we live with open hands. That's why we live with an open heart. Can I get an amen? Right? That's why we do what we do. I mean, the world, if you're, a, if you're a generous giver, the world's gonna be like, you're crazy. Why are you doing that? But it's the gospel that has transformed us. And because of Christ's great love for us, we wanna serve God. We wanna love God. We wanna be obedient to God. All right, so let's pick up verse seven or point seven. Point seven, here we go. Generous giving is measured proportionately. So 2 Corinthians 8, 10 to 12 says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so, th so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have. Paul is saying, listen, a year ago, 
you started to do this work. You started to set aside money for this offering, this collection. And then you also have this desire to give. The desire comes from the heart. And, and Paul is making the point. You give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. He says, listen, God has blessed you. He has entrusted his resources, his blessings into your life. And so be faithful and steward that well. Give out of what you have. God has given us so, so much. You know, when people come to the Bible, they, when it comes to giving, either you're one, in one of two camps. Either you, you see the principle of tithing or, you, um, or you're more into the grace giving, right? My personal conviction, I believe that the Bible teaches tithing. I don't think it's just an Old Testament thing. I think it's a New Testament thing. Jesus talked about tithing. I mean, he confronted the Pharisees about it. He said, man, you know, like, you, you know, you, you, you tithe off this, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, mercy, justice, all these things. So even Jesus affirmed, confirmed the principle of tithing. Tithing is simply, it's 10%. It's first fruits. You, you give back to God what he's given to you. Tithing is, see it as a floor, not a ceiling. It's baseline, it's starting point. It's a good place to begin. You know, in the Old Testament, you know, they had to tithe off all their harvest, first fruits, right? And researchers have said the Old Testament saints probably gave 33 to 35% of their income back to God. Some of you are like, hey, I'm good with 10%. I'm good, 10% is good, right? I mean, God says, hey, let's, here's what we're gonna do. You're going to keep 90, and you're going to give 10 back to me. I mean, you could be under the Old Testament law. You could be giving a third of your money back to God. But here's, the, here's what I will say. How could we give less to God now that we're under grace than the saints in the Old Testament? So people complain, well, I, you know, I, I just don't want to give that much. Well, man, like, we're, we're like, we're post-crossed here. Like, we're like... We, we, we know the blessings of God. We've seen what Christ has done for us. And, and that, should, that should cause us to want to give to the Lord. Here's point number eight. Giving, generous giving allows us to meet the needs of others. Allows us to meet the needs of others. This is what giving is about. Giving is about other people. It's about meeting needs, right? It's not about your greeds. It's not about, you know, all your wants and dreams and everything you want. It's about Meeting tangible needs. It's about focusing on, on, on people. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 to 15. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul is talking about equality. He's talking about fairness. He doesn't want the, the people of Corinth to be burdened while others live comfortably. The point that Paul is making is God wants you to meet the needs of other people. How do you do that? You meet the needs of other people with God's blessings and resources that he gives you in your life. If you have an abundance, you share that abundance. You help those in need. And then when you're in need, it's like a boomerang effect. When you're in need, then their abundance, they, they kind of like, they pay back. They pay you back down the road when you're in need. 
why should we help one another? Why should we be meeting people's needs? Because people matter to God. Because people matter to God. People are hurting. We're all made in the image of God with equal dignity, value, and worth regardless of gender, race, or age. And so God calls us to be like him, to be generous, um, and to meet needs. Here's point number nine. God wants us to give willingly and cheerfully. Now we're gonna, we're gonna camp out on this point for a while. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this verse tells us how to give and how not to give. So let's talk about, let's talk about the negative. Let's talk about how not to give. So number one, God says, do not give reluctantly. What does it mean? Do not give with an attitude of sorrow. Don't give with a spirit of grief or, or you know, spirit of pain that's like lodged within your heart. You know, some people see giving as painful. Oh, it's painful. They say it's painful to give. You know, I, I give until it hurts. No, you give until it feels good. God says do not give reluctantly. God doesn't want us as his children to, to give with a, a stingy heart. God wants us to give willingly and, and, and freely. You know, God says, do not give under compulsion. The idea here is don't feel pressured to give. Don't give out of guilt motivation. Never give if you feel pressured to give. Why? Because if you feel pressured to give and you go ahead and you give, guess what? I don't think there's a blessing connected to that. God doesn't want us to be stingy givers. He doesn't want us to give reluctantly. You might say, well, I feel kind of pressured to give right now. I mean, we're like week three, we're talking about giving. That's not my problem. Because I'm just the newspaper boy, right? I'm on my bike riding up and down the neighborhoods and I'm delivering the newspaper. I'm trying to get the newspaper on the front porch so that when the person wakes up in the morning, five, six in the morning, they got their newspaper. I didn't write the newspaper. If you've got issues with it, take it up with Jesus. It's not my fault, right? I didn't write it. God, God says, listen, I, I, want you, I want you to give. Now, if, if you feel pressure, don't give, because I don't think there's a blessing connected to it. Maybe, just maybe, have you ever thought, it could be the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. It could be God working in your life tugging on your heart, trying to get you to pry the, the vice grip off of your material possessions and love God with the resources that he's given to you in your life. All right, let's switch gears. How should we give? So in verse seven, we're just gonna chop this up. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. There's so much there. Your giving should be voluntary. It should be intentional. It says, as he has decided. So it should be thoughtful. Giving, the discipline of giving and generosity is not really a spontaneous thing. Well, you know, you know well, when I go to church, I, I, you know, I just throw in some bucks. No, 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 no. It's planned giving. You have decided in your heart what you're going to give. It's intentional, right? No one's 
forcing you to give. You're not under compulsion. And then it says, really, your, your giving should come from the heart. It says, as he has decided in his heart. This is why I say that giving is tied to the heart. It's a heart issue. The source of radical generosity is not the purse. It's the heart. That's the true source of radical generosity. God is a lot more interested in our willingness than in our wealth. Why is that? Because God is interested in what he can do in your heart when you surrender, when you yield your life to him. He's interested in in, in the heart change that he can bring about. God is in the business of heart work. So the question for us this morning is, are we allowing God to change our hearts? Your giving should be cheerful. So not only should it be voluntary, intentional, thoughtful, from the heart, but it should be cheerful. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul is telling the church of Corinth, when you give, give cheerfully. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word love there, it literally means, in the Greek, God approves or God values the cheerful giver. Many of you know this. The word cheerful in the Greek is where we get our English word hilarious from. The Greek word is hilarious. So, you know, giving should be joyful. It should be fun. Giving should be a delight, not a duty. You should be, it, you should be happy to give, not pressured to give. You know, the word hilarious, or the English word hilarious, is, is laughter. Your giving should be like you're in a comedy club, and all the jokes are super clean, and they're really funny, right? And you're just cracking up, you know, maybe drinking a Coke, you're laughing, you're having a good time, you're relaxed. Giving should be like that. Giving should cause Laughter and joy, it should be fun, it's not a chore, it's not a debt that you owe God. No, 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 it's like, I want, I want to be a part of this. This is a sweet deal. I want to, I want to be a part of the mission and what God is, is doing and how this investment is going to reap eternal rewards. Cheerful giving comes from the heart. It's not external pressure. It's not people saying, you you got to give. If you don't give, you're not right with God. No, it's about cheerfully giving to the Lord. Here's point number 10. God gives us a promise when we give generously. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and then verses 8 to 11. Let me read it, and then we're going to walk through it one verse at a time. The point is this, whoever so sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, 
There's a lot there. So we're going to unpack it, okay? Verse 6, let me read it again. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So here's the question. How do you decide how much God is going to bless your life? How do you decide? By your giving. If you sow a few seeds, this is what Paul's saying. If you sow a few seeds, just a few, you're going to reap a small harvest. If you sow a lot of seed, if you give a lot of seed away, you're going to reap a generous harvest. The size of the harvest is determined by the size of the sowing. This is important to remember. The harvest takes time. When you sow seed, you're a farmer. You sow that seed, you got to water, you got to fertilize, you got to cultivate. You're sowing in one season, but then you're planting in a different season. It takes time. It's not immediate. It's not like, well, if I sow the seed, then, you know, bam, like God's like a slot machine. You know, if I give 100, he's going to give 1,000. That's not how God works. God's, he's not a slot machine, Right? And, and nowhere in the Bible does it say, you know, if you give 100, God will give 1,000. You know, the prosperity gospel is, you know, God's concerned about your health and your wealth and your happiness. No, God's concerned about your holiness. And listen, God doesn't need your money. He's going to advance the kingdom with or without you. But the point is, this planning idea is true with generosity. It takes time. It takes time. You plant in one season, you reap in another. Now, I don't fully understand how God does all that and how he blesses. He could bless materialistic, sure. He can bless spiritually. There's so many different blessings that he can pour into your life. How God does that, I don't know, but God does. Now, it says in the next verse, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Circle the word all there. There's a lot of alls in that verse. I mean, there's no wiggle room here when it comes to God giving this promise. God is saying, give cheerfully, give generously, and notice, notice, notice the promise. You will have all you need at all times, in all needs, in all things, in all places. That's a promise. God is saying, put me first in your finances and everything else will line up. If God is first, if you're seeking the kingdom of God, all of these things will be added unto you, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6. Now let's go on. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply. Circle the word multiply your seed. That's very important. He will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When we learn to give, he multiplies what we give him. It's called the principle of multiplication. Remember the story of the 5,000 people and they're following Jesus. They're listening to him. Some people... Pure motives, other people, no, they just want to be fed. And what did Jesus do? He wanted to feed them. What did Andrew do? Andrew, he went, found a little boy with a sack lunch, you know, came back, gave it to Jesus. And with that sack lunch, 
it was multiplied and they were able to feed 5,000 people. It's an incredible story. A little boy sack lunch was able to feed 5,000 people. Actually, when you count women and children, probably 15 or, or 20,000 people total. This is called the principle of multiplication. You take a little and God turns it into a lot. God compares giving to planting seeds. It's a common metaphor. When you give, it's like planting a seed. Giving, I want you to write this down. It's not a fill in the blank, but I want you to write this down. Giving is not a debt I owe. Giving is not a debt I owe. It is a seed I sow. A lot of people think, oh, I, you know, I got to give because if I don't give, then God's not going to love me. And, and you know, I, I got to earn God's favor. No, 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 no. Giving is not a debt you owe. Giving is a seed that you sow. You're, you're sowing in faith. You're, you're sowing good deeds and good works. You're, you're putting God first in your finances. And here's, here's the reality. God doesn't need your money. He wants to teach you to trust him. He wants you to be like him. He wants you to be generous. So Paul uses this analogy of a farmer to make his point clear. If you plant a little seed, your harvest will be little. If you plant lots of seeds, you will reap a good harvest. I'll give you, an, I'll give you a great example. So about six years ago, I, I planted an avocado tree in my backyard. I call it the guacamole tree. Okay, it's the guacamole tree. And, and man, I have babied this thing. I got connected to a farm in Ramona, and I, I've learned from him, like, you know, how much water and fertilizer and, you know, when not to water and when to water and how much and weekly cycle. And I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into it. So I tell my family, you know, I've been a farmer the last six years. Huh? You know, blood, sweat, and tears, man. I've been working, working this one single tree. A few years ago, I planted a forte tree so that there'd be cross-pollination. Anyways, back to my story. So the tree started growing. It got to the point, I think it was like, um, well, yeah, last year, last year, I had a harvest of 89 Haas avocados on my tree, and it's a baby tree. It's a baby tree, y'all. I mean, 89. This year, 10. 10. I've been in mourning for the last six months, literally, in mourning. Here's, here's where I went wrong. Here's the problem. As the tree is growing... I, I, had a, I had a kind of a problem with um, water usage and how much water was going to the tree. I thought that X amount of gallons was going to the tree when in reality, one third of what the tree really needed was going to the tree. So a third of what it really needed was going. So here's my point. Next year, I'm gonna give a lot of extra water and I'm gonna have a massive avocado harvest. It's going to be incredible. This year it should have been like 180, 190 on my tree. So here's my point. If you water a little, your harvest will be little. If you water a lot, you will have a large harvest. The size of the harvest is proportionate to the quantity of seed sown. You know, God's mathematics in a nutshell is this. The best way to increase a sum is to subtract from it. That's God's mathematics. The Bible says you will have more if you give more, right? But we, we do the exact opposite of God's mathematics. You know, we will have more if we give less. But God's like, no, you'll have more if you give more. 
How is this possible? Because God is factored into the equation. When God is factored in, when God is involved, you can do more with 90% than you can with 100. And if you don't believe, if you don't think that's true, Malachi, God tells us, God says, put me to the test. And I, I challenge you, if you put God to the test, your 90 will, be, will, be, will go much further than your 100 because God is first in your finances. When God is first in your finances, you're not sowing a little seed, you're sowing a lot of seed. And the harvest is really up to God and what he does in your life. I don't fully understand all of that, but I do believe the principle. Put God first and your life will be blessed. Then he goes on to say, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When it comes to giving, you don't give to get. If you give to get, the motivation changes. The motivation becomes greed, not love for God. God is not a pinata. You can't take a stick called tithing and hit that pinata as hard as you can, expecting all the goodies and blessings and it will just pour out onto your life. God's not a pinata. God's not a genie. You, you know, you can't rub God and God pops out and he gives you three wishes. That's not how God works. The Bible teaches generous theology. You give because you're madly in love with Jesus. You live with open hands. You live with an open heart because of the gospel and because of what Christ has done for you. Here's point number 11. When we give generously, people's lives are impacted. People's lives are impacted. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the need to the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. When you give, it impacts you personally, but it also makes an imprint on other people. Can you imagine how many people have heard the gospel? How many people have found Christ through this church on this campus? Over the last almost 50 years, 50 plus years, how many people have heard the gospel? How many people have entered into a saving relationship with Christ because people gave, because people sacrificed, because pe people invested in that which is eternal? Giving is about impacting people spiritually. The Macedonians' financial gift was supplying the needs of the saints in Jerusalem, and it resulted in praise. It resulted in thanksgiving to God. The Bible says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. When you give, you get the joy. Because there's joy in giving. You get the joy, but God gets the glory. He gets the glory because he's doing a work in people's lives. Here's our last point, point number 12. Generous giving is evidence of genuine saving faith. Let's talk about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 13 to 14. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. 
Let me be really clear here. Let me be really clear. Faith, faith in Christ is the root of your salvation. Amen? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Faith is the root of our salvation. But works is the fruit of our salvation. Fruit or proof or evidence that you are a Christ follower. This is where Paul and James were were not contradicting each other. Paul was emphasizing you're justified by faith in Christ. You're declared righteous in God's eyes because of the cross. James picks up the same biblical theme but then attaches works, not works that um, define or determine your salvation, works that say, listen, if you're a genuine believer, you will do X, Y, and Z. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be evidence. There's going to be proof that you are a Christ follower. I believe that generosity is not the evidence of your saving faith. The apostle John, 1 John, he says, you want to know how you're a believer? Do you love God? Do you love people? Do you hate your own sin? These are marks. Do you keep God's commandments? Those are marks of of being a Christ follower. So it's not the evidence, but I think generosity, living a generous life is a mark. It is fruit that Christ has done a saving work in your life. Generosity flows from our confession of the gospel of Christ. The gospel should drive us to give generously. When you get saved, when you're converted, when you place faith in Christ, the Spirit of God moves into your life. Now you're justified. The sanctification process begins. God's going to refine you. God's going to change you. God's going to grow you to be mature, right? That process is lifelong. Saved in a moment, sanctified over a lifetime. It's a lifetime to be sanctified. And when you get saved, the gospel doesn't just impact you when you surrender to Christ, when you say, I am banking, I am placing my faith in Christ and and in him alone for my eternal life. No, after that moment, which is so true, you jettison your sin, you place your faith in Christ, but then you start living the gospel out in your life. What do I mean by that? Someone hurts you. What do you do? You hurt them back? You seek revenge? No, you forgive them. Why do you forgive them? Because God in Christ forgave you. That's the gospel, right? That's the gospel. The gospel drives us to to live for Christ. Why Why do we seek out those who may have something against us? Why do we reconcile broken relationships? Because it's a picture of the gospel. God pursued us. God reconciles us to himself. So we reconcile relationships because God has reconciled us back into a right relationship with him. Why do we live in community with other believers? Because we're a part of a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to be living out the gospel. We're, we have common ground, common unity, common savior, or one savior, one father. Why do we share the gospel? with our oikos? Why are we intentional about sharing the good news of God's saving grace with lost people? Because that's what it means to live out the gospel. 
Your life has been transformed, and God wants you to be an ambassador so that other people might hear the good news. The gospel should drive us. The gospel should mark every area of our lives. We cannot come to Christ and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give you these areas, but I'm not giving you this area. You're going to be Lord, Master, Sovereign over these areas, but when it comes to giving, no, 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 no. Like, no, when we come to Christ, we give him everything. We give him our entire lives. We give him our lives, we give him our hearts, we give him our affections, we give him everything. We give him everything. The Bible calls us to grow in this act of grace. Paul told the church of Corinth, I want you to excel in this grace also. Yeah, I want you, I want you to excel, excel in your speech. I want you to excel in your knowledge, all these Christian virtues, but I want you to excel in this grace of giving. I want the gospel to make an indelible mark upon your hearts and your lives. I want you to live with open hands and open hearts. And so that's my challenge to you. Church family, let's grow in this grace together. let's, Let's live differently than the world. The world, vice grip, clenched fists, mine, I earned it. No, let's... Let's see everything as a gift from God. Let's say, God, you know what? This is all yours. I can't take it with me when I die. I had a conversation with uh, one of our members after the first service. And, um, you know, Elvis Presley's daughter died. She came up to me and she said, you know, this is a great example. Like, you die, you can't take anything with you. She said she wasn't even able to take Graceland with her. And I thought... Yeah, that's, that's a good little point, you know. You can't take anything with you. I'm going to land the plane in 30 seconds. I want you to hear me. I've talked about giving for three weeks. I've never mentioned one time the budget of the church. Why? Because I don't care about that. I care about you being conformed to the image of Christ. I care about us collectively as a church family being conformed to the image of Christ It is not a sin to have money. Abraham and Job, they had a lot of real estate. They had a lot of money. And they were righteous men. They loved God. It is wise to invest. Proverbs is chocked full of verses about investing and and, and passing down an inheritance to your children and and their children. It's, It's wise. It's smart. It's godly. It's godly to save. It's godly to invest. It's wise to plan. But here's what's not wise. To do all of that, but not invest in kingdom work. Don't waste your life. Don't wake up someday with regret thinking, I should have handled my finances differently. I should have, I should have surrendered to the Spirit's leading in my life. I should have been more of a giver. You can't take it with you when you die. But... You can send it on ahead, and it will reap a harvest of righteousness. It will have an eternal impact someday. When you give, you're impacting people spiritually for eternity. Keep that in mind. Let's pursue God together. Amen?
hey, let's be generous. Let's not be stingy. Let's not be selfish. Let's go hard after God together. Amen? Okay, let's do this. Let's pray.